0: Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your week, weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues. And I'm the, your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus magazine. And tonight we have a wonderful show, um, maybe, maybe uh, slightly abbreviated because of the timing here, but we, we hope to be able to bring to you the entire gamut of what's sitting on my table. The truth of the matter is there's more information, more things that happened this week than I've ever seen before and i wanted to first start with a a few questions that i got asked on the phone this week and some referring to a little earlier as well i was very disturbed very disturbed about a question that i was asked by a young boy who's in a uh, in in a yeshiva and um maybe he's 17 i don't know 17 16 17 18 in that ain't that range and uh, the question was whether a certain product, nicotine gum, is kosher. Now, I don't know too much about it, but nicotine gum, I thought that meant he must be already hung up on, uh, on smoking, which is true. He's gotten, he has actually been uh, hospitalized over uh, uh, too much smoking. But I found out that the boys do this because they enjoy the high they get from the gum itself. Now, I have no reason to assume it's kosher. He said to me, isn't it medicinal? I said, not really. You know, I mean, (laughs) we're talking about a young boy, a fever boy, he's got to get over this thing, but uh, I don't know if this nicotine gum is going to help him. And, and definitely, I couldn't give him a go-ahead on it. I was able to find one product that's nicotine. Uh, the Star the Star K has a list of different recommended things. And one of them was a, a nicotine gum called Nicorette. But it wasn't gum, I'm sorry. Nic- Nicorette, and it was the mini lozenges. It seems that the company makes regular lozenges and mini lozenges and gum. And only the Nicorette mini lozenges was considered to be kosher. I believe it has a hashgacha. Gateshead, I think it is. In any event, that's the one that's listed on the Star K website. Nikoret, uh, mini lozenges. But it was disturbing, the, the call. And I've received calls from other yeshiva boys about, uh, they want to know about hard liquor. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not hard liquor, hard cider, which means it's got alcohol in it and they want to know this brand, that brand, is this acceptable, is that acceptable, I, 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 I shudder to think where we're headed. I hope and pray this is just a, a very, very small minority of people, but these are the kinds of questions that are that are coming to me very frequently. I'm going to read to you an article that was printed about marijuana. And we're not talking about marijuana use, we're talking about hashkochos and marijuana. Right now I don't have in front of me where it came from because I took the first page off. But uh, these are quotes, and I'll read to you the quotes. It seems that there's, a, there's cannabis and cannabidiol, that's CBD. Ca- cannabis is less, is less of a problem, but CBD is an oil de- derived from the cannabis plant, and some hashgachas are giving, giving hashgacha to CBD. Uh, one of the rabbis said, we certify CBD oils because they're not addictive. It's just the health properties of it. But obviously, we're getting deeper and deeper and deeper. I remember when the first thing came out, the OU certified to something, and it was uh, the, this was because of medical reasons. We were for, the first certifications were going to people who needed this because they were having tremendous suffering, and this was just to relieve their suffering. And it was me- definitely medicinally uh, uh, required and suggested, recommended, and they gave hashgacha on the. Uh, Different things that were made having marijuana in it. Because they had cookies and this and that. So they had to give Hashkaka on it. And they did it. It was a big question whether they're gonna do it, and they said they'd never give it on recreational marijuana. We're now up to where recreational marijuana is being legalized and hushkakas are being challenged by this. Some Hashkakas are gonna be giving Hashkakhs to it, Hashkaka to it, and others will refrain from it. And this is a big problem. There was recently a child um, from child had thought that the candies that, that the child saw in the house were candy, and it was like a Shabbos party. She grabbed or she or he grabbed a whole bunch of them, and and ate them up. And it was it was toxic on that level, and ended up hospitalized. This is from uh, from home where they did they they enjoy that in their house, and yet they didn't realize the kid was going to get a hold of it. Well. That, wake up. First of all, don't have it. Secondly, keep the kid away from it. I mean, we're going to... I don't want to say what's going to happen in the future, but this is what's already happened in the present. I'll go on a little bit about this uh, marijuana. Uh, it's, the problem is that it it's controls the mind. Rabbi Fishbane from the CRC and from the ACCO organization said, it has to do with ingesting things that you take takes you it takes you out of your mind that is a concept that is something already that is something's already been proven like alcohol they permit people to to drink alcohol because the people have trampled on this already and many people have a schnapps here or there or a kiddush and shabbos and they're not getting too high and they're not losing their mind and they're not unable to daven the next fila or to make kiddush when they come home. They're not out of their minds. They can control it. So people did show, in many cases, ability not to be uh, influenced by this. But, but cannabis doesn't enjoy the status yet. This is what I'm causing from my fishbane. Therefore, to take something you know is going to take you out of das, means take your mind away from you, and therefore you can't do mitzvahs properly, you can't daven properly. Well, this is not acceptable. But unfortunately, there are people who are going to be giving hashkocha to it. And um, one of the Kashmir's agencies, the KLBD, said we wouldn't give a hekshur to e-liquids or vapes for two reasons: number one, they're generally a health hazard and addictive, leading youngsters more to more harmful nicotine sources. Secondly, as a based in a religious authority, we have a moral duty towards society. By giving a hechsher, we would effectively be endorsing such behavior. So, some of the kashrus agencies are, you know, towing the line, and others are maybe a little more liberal in their. In, in, in how they handle this situation. Those are some of the calls that I've received, and it was very, very troubling to me. And I hope and pray that the families and the yeshivas are going to be able to control the young people in uh, with these new challenges that are facing us every single day. I want to talk about a Pesach hotel scandal. And I'm not joking about it. Scandal. So let me just tell you, this is something that uh, goes back a number of years. But it was put out by the Beth Din of uh, of, uh, of uh, the London Beth Din. It seems that there were a number of hotels that were uh, mislabeling, putting down names of different rabbonim or hashgacha agencies. In their case, theirs, saying that they they were certifying the Pesach hotel. And the article that I looked at shows how sometimes a chief rabbi of a country was supposed to be giving hashgacha and he didn't give hashgacha. This organization didn't give hashkocha. And it seems that the companies also dropped hashgachas and changed to other ones. When you're going away for Pesach, if you're doing it, I don't, I'm don't, i not advising it, but if you're going away for Pesach, you better make sure that the place you're going to is really under the hashgacha that was in the advertisement. And even if it's not uh, and, and, and aside from that first of all you have to check to, only go to a place that you consider to be acceptable for the, because of the Hashkocha uh, the fact that you're going to say that we have leading Rabbanim and meeting Hashkochas to, to certifying our places don't believe any of that first find out what it is and then check with the Kashmir's agency see if they really are giving the Hashkocha and then closer to Pesach whenever that is I can't give you a date let's say Purim time Whatever it is, when you get closer to Pesach, make sure that it is under that Hashgacha. Because a lot of times, they change from their initial Hashgacha to somebody else. Maybe an announcement goes out, maybe it announcement doesn't go out, but in any event, they'll say, we never told, we never signed a contract, but, but people were being told, but I forgot that. You can't get yourself in that position, make sure the place is really under that Hashgacha. I want to share with you something that I got involved in this week. You might see it. Maybe it's going to be printed. I have no idea. I sent a letter into one of the local, one of the Jewish papers. I'm not going to tell you which one right now. I don't want to mention any particular paper. But uh, there was an article that was printed. It was talking about the the CRC, meaning the Central Rabbinical Congress in uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, how they. Um, They they, they have a training program, and in that they were talking about how important it is to check, to make sure there's no insect infestation. But I'm going to read to you uh, a line that appeared there, and that's what concerned me, and I responded and sent a letter to the editor, which may or may not be printed this week, uh, just to clarify the matter. But I want you to hear the clarification, and I want you to hear the wording. I'm not going to tell you the full name, but let's say the name of the article was something to the effect that uh, insect infestation is a very serious thing, and and, and you have to examine it very carefully. I'm just quoting from the article. Rabbi S. showed the assembled apparently innocently looking packets of ingredients, foods, that when put under the microscope, revealed armies of bugs. So that quote says there were innocent-looking packets of foods, and then when they put them under the microscope, you see the bugs. I'll read it again. Rabbi S. showed the assembled, apparently innocent-looking packets of ingredient foods, that when put under the microscope, revealed armies of bugs. It seems like the way that they're presenting it is, you must check under a microscope, and then that's even a zillion times stronger than a than, than a loop that they use. The jewelers' loop, jewelers' loops are 10x, 30x, whatever it is. But your microscopes are—I I don't even—I don't even know exactly the amounts, but it's a couple of times over that. It's serious, uh, very, very, very um, uh, much expanded and. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it's, it's really what you, you know, it's heavy duty. So if, if that's what they're talking about, that means, you know, they're worried about in, insects that cannot be seen with the naked eye. And that is not the halacha. So I, I felt I had to say something about it because I felt that they're, they're, they're misunderstanding the basic halacha. Now, I don't think that the person who wrote the article realized that, that, that that's how it's being presented. But the reader was definitely thinking that the cashless agency is using microscopes to examine the products that they are coming out with the hashgacha, and that somehow that's recommended, required, etc., or that's what the cashless agency does. And I can tell you they don't do that, because nobody in the world does that. You wouldn't, it would, first of all, you never get done, because you'd be, if you're examining lettuce with that, it would take about four hours to go through a head of lettuce. <laughs> if you could examine everything under a microscope, the whole leaf under a microscope would probably take 10 minutes per leaf. I mean, it would never, it would never be able to put anything out. It's terribly hard. So I, I'm sure that uh, that, that, that is not the, was not the intention, and it's a total misunderstanding. So I wrote that halacha clearly states that an insect must be at least macroscopic, meaning that it's able to be seen with the naked eye, However, it has to be by somebody who was trained for at least a few hours how to spot an insect, but the insect is clearly visible. The reason why many mashkiach carry a jeweler's loop all day is to verify that what they thought was an insect is really an insect. Uh, But first, the mashkiach must identify with his own eyes. Now, really, the way they identify it is seeing a form that looks like the in, an insect. You could tell, but might be legs. What might be, in other words, if it's a perfect, if it looks like a stick, straight line, and there's nothing sitting out in the sides, it probably is a little bit of a twig, a little piece of uh, wood, or something like that. Uh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't have any form that looks like there might be legs, then it probably is not a bug. Uh, again, when you examine it closely, you might find that it is. But first, you must spot something. A, you must spot something. B, you, you should have a feeling that it is possibly a bug. Now, people develop better ability to decide that as time goes on. The first couple of minutes, you're not going to know that. But as time goes on, you will be able to figure out whether or not this is actually an insect or not. So that's basically, uh, that's basically what you have to do. And, and then you can look through the loop to make sure that it really is an insect and this way, you'll know there was one insect. So Let's say, for example, if you're three insects, you can't uh, eat that food without checking everything completely. It, then you establish that there's a there's a there's a, there's a or there's a murksa Sorry, a, a, a at least, and then maybe murksa if it's a, if each piece has some bugs in it. So you do need to know the bottom line: was it a bug or not? But Calling it a bug is defined by your ability to see it with your naked eye, not with a loop. The loop is only a support system. That's what we put out in that letter, and maybe it will be printed, maybe not. Next, we're going on to an article that was in the Jewish press. I saw it online. I didn't have the paper in front of me. It's about COVID and Kashrus. Very Very interesting article. If you want to know, it was printed November 17th. Um, And uh, 13th of Kislev, and the article was written by Mark Gronich. It says, uh, it's talking about the COVID breakup. The COVID story, it actually ties into the cannabis as well. But the, The main thrust originally was COVID. More than a year after the COVID pandemic broke out, the kosher food industry is feeling its impact. Many kosher certifications agencies are finding it difficult to travel to food processing plants to make sure their certifications are being kept up to standards, and the lack of professional personnel compounds the problem. The professional personnel means that it's hard to get mashkikh. It's getting harder to get mashkichm, especially during COVID, and it was to get them to go to these places, and it was uh, very hard to get in. So, overseas, company executives are choosing to opt for the kosher certification, but not to advertise the label on their food, fearing backlash from anti Semitic groups who will avoid buying their products, which is also an increasing problem. So, uh, during the difficult periods, the London Beth Din. Uh, this is a quotes here from Rabbi Shoman, Eli Shoman, from the KLBD. It says, during the difficult periods, KLBD, this is a quote from Rabbi Shoman, and other agencies, from what we've been told, were doing virtual visits to those factories, which are periodically visited and don't need close monitoring or batch supervision. In other words, if you needed to be there during a production this idea of going uh, all, you know, of, of zooming and uh, virtual, meaning he's holding up a, a cell phone and showing you pictures there, they wouldn't accept that. But if something that requires a mashkir to be on the plant at the production, they would never do that. So therefore, they're saying that if it required a special production, we didn't do special productions. That's basically what happened during COVID. And if it did not require it, so then we would do it this way. Um, with a virtual check that's basically what they're doing. I spoke with somebody um this week who's uh, out in, uh, in the midwest let's say and not have to give away who it is uh, he's in the midwest, and uh, there was a i mentioned it on the air a while back i don't think he remembers, but there was this particular uh, uh, college that had a kosher uh, program for you know for people who want to keep kosher, and it was under this hashgacha, and then uh, the, uh, the, the then the, the they the, they couldn't afford it to do it anymore because they required a mashgiach to be present, so the college opted to take something which was uh not really orthodox just let's say not orthodox and thank god it it failed. And they went back to the Orthodox group, but the problem was dollars. So, thank God, the, uh, the, the rabbi that I spoke to was able to get community support and donors to be able to sponsor this program. Now, that said, they could not go with the Mashkiach to Midi on site, living at the campus, which would be a very large amount of investment. So they opted for periodic inspections coupled with cameras. So this is the way it's going. Now, not everybody's got like that, but the camera business is major in the kosher industry. I hope that all the kosher agencies are utilizing it in an effective way, meaning that it's not just a fake. It's not just a going to nowhere and no one looks at it but obviously that it's monitored on some regular basis and that they feel confidence that they're getting full information from the cameras. But that is what the state of Kashrus is today in many, 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 many areas. We go on. Uh, this is something from Rabbi Tzvi Holland, who is uh, from the Star K. Okay, you, you always need to know where you can get a PCR test have enough masks, and if you're really good and you go back to America, you carry with, with you an FDA-approved antigen test that you could take in 15 minutes. You do a video call, and you can get approved uh, approved COVID result to get back into the country. So that's how complicated the whole deal is. Now, the Dr. A, Avram Pollack from the STAR-K said there have been a lot of challenges in the past year being able to visit our plants and getting people to where they have to be. We've had to really jump through some hoops in order to accomplish that. But thank God we've been able to continue providing the kosher consumer with many certified products, which means, of course, they couldn't do everything. The uh, the OU, from the quote from Rabbi Ganach, there are two problems. One is getting workers. The other issue that factories and businesses now have is the supply chain. It's been very compromised. Hopefully those things will iron themselves out. But it's already had a dramatic effect on the price of food and inflation across the country. The prices of food, especially price of meat, especially in the kosher area, have risen. Now, I want to say something about that. Um, so I think I'll, say, I'll stick it in here right now. This is a complaint from uh, a woman... Who um, is concerned about the price of kosher food? Now, what she de- she describes is that uh, you know, she's still into into, um, in, into Thanksgiving. She co- and she has, of course, uh, she, she of course she has uh, Hanukkah. So she talks about the ridiculously high cost of kosher Thanksgiving. All right, this is a joke that, they, that the people, you know, in the, in the general Jewish world use. They refer to a combinations of these holidays. Uh, but basically her, her, her complaint is that she is a balas shuva and that she wants to keep kosher, and for the last 10 years she and her family have been keeping kosher. Her husband and children have been keeping kosher for the last 10 years. And, and she found that the prices of food for kosher food we're skyrocketed now, and she's not in uh, our neighborhood on the, on, the, on the east coast. she's in the west coast, and she's finding this extremely difficult, and she's talking about the the challenges do we take do we spend the full amount or on this, or do we do something? we cut back on some of the things we eat? We eat something that's not flashy. it's not this, not that. In other words, what do we do? How do we adjust to it? So that's part of this issue that we're mentioning now, that COVID had a major effect on our lives, specifically in the price of the kosher foods. Now, for us, we have no choice, and she talks about it. We, 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 she, she understands that if you're kosher, you eat kosher, and that's it. But there are people on the line. That's what she's talking about. There are people on the fence, people who are trying to be kosher, who started to, who want to, but this is scaring them. Now, again, you can't say uh, you can't eat kosher, but you may not have as much food or the same foods as you once had. And you may have, of course, you have, in any way you have to choose from a smaller selection when you're taking kosher. But the price is going to affect people who are on the line. And that's why we hope to pray that, for, for ourselves, but for the, but for these people particularly who have to think about it, who think about kosher, we have to pray that the, the prices do come down and they'll be able to have an easier time. But this leads to another area, which I don't know if I have, how much I can sneak in tonight, but it leads to another area, which is that uh, that, that people are replacing uh, kosher certification for something that's not kosher certification, that's a step away from it. Um, I'm going to quote you now from Rabbi Fishbane, of Sholom Fishbane, from the CRC, the Chicago Rabbinical Council. And this is a very important piece. It's important because it ties a little bit into the COVID thing. It definitely ties into what I was just talking about, the question of standards and... I think this is one of his pet peeves, but I think this is a good place for him to bring it out. I would say the biggest challenge today is party planners, home cookers, Instagram bakers, the new way of buying food. It's somebody advertising, or they're doing it at home, or they know a guy's uncle that makes good sushi, or who knows what. The party planners have replaced caterers that have a heksha. In other words, a party planner has no heksha. They claim that they're just buying stuff that's kosher and they're bringing it to you. But in a the sense, they're deciding what is kosher. And remember, he's talking about a guy's uncle who makes good sushi. That's There's no hashtag on that. So, really, are people lowering their standards now? They feel they don't need to have hekshas because I'm not cooking anything. That's the party planner. I'm just buying. But they're buying from places that don't have a heksher, as well as bringing in utensils that are questionable. It's a big, big mess for the traditional kashrus today. I think that was a very powerful statement from Rabbi Fishbane, and, and I think it's a very important thing. I'm, 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 uh, yesterday, I get a call from uh, somebody who's who, who left Lakewood and is on the way to Brooklyn, and they're and they're going to a simcha. That's being held in, um, in 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 the shul, and they're asking me about the kashras. I said, "Who is the caterer? Who is Ashkacha?" I don't know. <laughs> well, I can't tell you. Well, they in that sure where they bring anybody. I mean, how am I going to answer that question? Obviously, we need to know more about who the caterer is. So I said, she said, they said to me, "Okay, when we get there, we'll call you again." Okay, So they got there, they called me again, and they told me the name of the caterer. So I told them, the caterer, I can give you a certain understanding about the caterer, and I want you to go in inside the kitchen and ask a few questions. And that's why I had to leave them. But my goodness, he's a party planner. He isn't a caterer in the, in the traditional sense of the word. He does have some things he makes. He has, does have a commissary, but he's basically a party planner. So I really don't know what, that was happening there that night. And uh, I gave them a little bit of an inp- you know, input, but this is, Taka, a very, very big problem. I remember that when we made Simchas and we used a party planner, and I told them to get certain things only, well, they were scared of me, of course, right? So They, they told me to get certain things from, from this, particular, and then they called me up, and they'd say, well, I can't find that, or I don't like that quality. I want to take it from here. I said, no, I want you to go there. So we had to, you know, it was a young person, and and she was an understanding of what I was I was explaining to her. But obviously, uh, it, they have a mind of their own, the party planners, and uh, if you don't know what you're talking about, they will give you whatever they want, and they'll give you what they consider to be the best, or that they can save the most money on or something, but usually they'll give you the prices that you paid. You have to pay them for a couple hundred bucks for the program, and the, the other bills you have to pay, you know, for the, that they laid out for the, uh, the, the different stores, and they'll show you the receipt. So that is not a really a, a very big problem. But where they go, you know, if you're there deciding, you would, should know who's Ashkocha and be satisfied with it. And if you need to, you, you ask somebody, Bishas Meissa or before, uh, and you have to make it up with them. Find out, first of all, find out what they're going to use, at least that much. And uh, you know, run past somebody if you can. Let me share with you a few more uh, interesting stories that we had this week. So I'm, I'm going to give you a, an update. You may have seen this, you may not have seen it. In any event, I'm giving it to you. Colgate Company. You know, the, the, the toothpaste and toothbrushes, right? Colgate. Colgate has two products that are 150% strafe. 150% strafe. If you want to examine it, you'll see that it's 150%. Colgate Max Fresh with mouthwash beads. That's the name of the product. Colgate Max Fresh with mouthwash beads. And the other product is called Colgate Wisp. W-I-S-P. Wisp. That uses gelatin from a pig. The two products I just mentioned to you. Colgate Max Fresh with mouthwash beads and Colgate Wisp. So that's all I can tell you. You you If you you ever saw those things, I haven't. (laughs) But to make sure you're not using them. I'm going to share with you two very, very, very sad things that are happening. The one that you probably heard about is in Brussels. In Brussels, Belgium, they they decided that products that come from Israel, from uh, Yehuda and Shomron, are now called, they have to be put, they have to be labeled, that they are, you know, from the territories. This is uh, an anti-Semitic thing that is coming out now in Belgium. I remember, Belgium has already banned Shrita to a large extent, and uh, now they're up to uh, saying that they're going to label products from Israel that come from the occupied territories. That's how they look at it. This is rampant in the world today. It isn't just as, uh, you know, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. This thing is going on major, and thank God in this country some people are fighting back. In the world they're trying to fight back, but it is a terror, That's for sure. It is a terror. So everybody should be aware of that. This is the new phenomenon going across the world. I'm going to read one one paragraph from you from the Ministry of Israel. Israel's Foreign Ministry. The decision to label the products harms Israelis and Palestinians and is out of step with the government of Israel's policy that is focused on improving the lives of Palestinians and strengthening the Palestinian Authority and with the improvement of Israeli relations with other European countries. So, in other words, this is out of step with with reality, but there's a strong, strong current, anti-Semitic current going on in Europe and other parts of the world, and we move along. I'm going to tell you about something that's upsetting because I remember the name. I, I don't remember the details, but within the last couple of years, I believe I wrote something about this because I remember the name of the, of the college. And this is typical of a college situation today. There's tremendous anti-Semitism on the college campus. Anybody who could possibly keep their kids from going to, uh, to, to universities I would say skip all the colleges altogether. But if you're going to go, let them go to an in-town, you sleep at home, and you eat at home, and give you a a sandwich for lunch, and that's what should be done. It shouldn't be that they're going into questionable Kashmir situations. It shouldn't be they're going into anti-Semitic situations, which, God forbid, could end up in, 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 in disasters, as we've seen in many college campuses over the last few years. And it's increasing in size. This is from the University of Toronto Student Union. They ban, this is from uh, November 28th. I got this here, it's 509. Uh, November 28th, 124 News, that's the company to put it out. University of T- Toronto Student Union bans pro Israel kosher caterers. This is wild. The Scarborough Campus Student Union, SCSU, of the University of Toronto, the U of T, passed a motion on Wednesday, this last week, pledging to exclusively order from kosher caterers who, you won't believe this, do not normalize Israeli apartheid. In other words, you only want to take from kosher caterers that are not pro-Israel. (laughs) <laughs> this is crazy, right? I mean, how, I mean, maybe you can have a guy who's your kosher caterer and he hates the Jews and somehow he got to hashgacha. But, but basically you're talking about an oxymoron how, how could it be that you got a guy who's, who's interested in kosher food and he hates Israel I mean, it's crazy but this is what they're demanding the students are demanding in the University of Toronto not some little fly-by-night place here, I'll read it again They they only can exclusively order from kosher caterers who do not normalize Israeli apartheid. Uh, The Jewish students, obviously, are very concerned about about the ability for them to continue to eat kosher in the University of Toronto. Amazing. We're not finished. Jewish students at SCSU will now be forced to prove that kosher caterers do not support their Jewish homeland, which is basically impossible. That's one of the the uh, the, uh, the members of the Haspara Fellowship in Canada, you know, reacting to this uh, lunacy. Um, what what came out is that the the University of Toronto president, Merrick Gertler, said in a statement that the school is opposed to all forms of discrimination and committed to the protection of freedom of speech and academic freedom. The university was alarmed to learn about two motions passed at the Scarborough Campus Students' Union annual general meeting on November 24th. This is a quote again. One motion reaffirmed SCSU's commitment to the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement, BDS, in other words, the University of Toronto's student union is solidly behind BDS. Another concerns the right of the Jewish students at the university, university of Toronto's, in other words, they are they able to have kosher food, or at least kosher food from somebody who's pro Israel? Now, I'm going to read another little part of the quote. I believe this is coming from this Merrick Gertler. It says, the motion allows an exception for suppliers of kosher food if no alternatives are available. Well, I could tell him right now that no alternatives (laughs) are available. You've got to have a kosher food from a guy that believes in Israel because that's what's going to happen. No, 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 no. That's not what they're saying. Listen to the next words. It shows how deep the hatred is for Jewish people on the campus at the University of Toronto. A requirement that providers of food as a religious accommodations be required to apply for an exemption or even be asked about their views about issues elsewhere in the world is unacceptable. In other words, you can't get to serve kosher food in the University of Toronto to the students unless you are anti israel or you you apply uh, for an exemption you you have to apply for an exemption insane or and you, and they're gonna, even just the idea they're going to ask them about their opinions about israel this is this is students. These are students. These are terrorists, and that's what that's what's going on in the University of Toronto. Now, I, there's an article. I don't have the time to go through it. I wish I did, but I just will tell you a little bit about it, and then we're going to move on. This article is by Rabbi Nehemiah Cooper Smith. And you can find it online at H.com. The article is, Can You Have Your Fake Pork and Eat It Too? I'm not going to go through it because the time is late. I wanted to be a little abbreviated tonight. And so I wanted to tell you that basically he goes through the question of whether or not it's proper to give hashkocha to impossible pork, which the OU decided not to give them hashkocha, even if the product is kosher, because they don't want such like impossible pork to have a hashkoch on it. It's something that's apparent to every Jew. We avoid pork like the, like the devil, and here we're going to have going to eat it and say, oh, yeah, but it's, not, but it's not pork. It's impossible pork, but it's not pork. So it's, it's a little bit extreme, and that was a decision that Rabbi Ganak made. And I want you to know, he made that decision, and he suffered from it. Because people attacked him. They're saying you're making kosher a political issue. You're not supposed to do that. You're only allowed to say it's kosher if it's kosher and not kosher if it's not kosher. But you can't take somebody that's not, that is kosher and say you won't do it for a political reason. For, for, for other reasons, that's apparent. So there are many, many, many people that attack the OU and Rabbi Ganak over this, which is, in, which is way out, because we believe very strongly that he has a right to do that, and we have been recommending for years now. I've been recommending for years in writing, on, on this radio station, and in emails to all the conscious organizations and the ACO organization. I've requested them many times to, to decide what's the red line we won't cross. Instead of the... Instead of Rabbi Ganak having to fend off the whole world, if ACO as an organization, or the big five even alone, uh, the, the OUOK, Kufke, Starke, and the CRC in Chicago, if they would have signed a document saying that we don't accept A, B, C, D, and E, then you know, the world wouldn't attack Rabbi Ganak. They might say you know, the Jewish people, whatever. But at least they wouldn't be picking and attacking. Just as in Ben and Jerry's, when the the, the K did not immediately remove their Ashkaka, which was illegal for them to remove their Ashkaka because it, they have a contract with the company and they'll be sued like crazy. So when they didn't, when they didn't give in right away and, and, and drop the company, there's been a tremendous, was a tremendous backlash. Now, when they're thinking of dropping it, because the, the contract is going to be up, they're thinking of dropping it. And at that point, the, the media flipped the other way. And started saying, "How dare they do that? They're making it political again, and then that's not kosher. Kashrus, you give them if it's kosher, it's kosher, and you have no right to do that. So wherever we are, when each but but bothers me is that each one is doing it on his own. The OK has, I'm sorry, the, the Stark, the, sorry again, the Kafka has to fight the media, and the OU has to fight the media, and I say it's wrong. I say." Kashrus, not, not me, not Kashrus magazine, Kashrus means the United Kashrus in the world, or at least in America, should be fighting and, and saying this is our standards. This is what we accept. You can't have Rainbow. You can't have uh, you know, anti-Israel. You can't have other things I'm not going to mention on the radio. You can't, uh, you can't be promoting these things and expect us to give you certification. We have a right as a, as a Jewish people to avoid it. It's not only, yeah, you're right, maybe it is kosher, maybe it's not, not but we're not going to go there. We have a right to make this some stand like that. I mean, we're religion. It's not just uh, over food, not a technical issue. It's, do we belong certifying and backing this product? So I, that's my feeling anyway. But this article basically took um, the position that they disagreed with Rabbi Kanak, and we really should make it kosher, and... According to Jewish law, if it's kosher, it's kosher. And uh, we're really supposed to uh, have desire for non-kosher foods. But what can we do? Hashem asked us not to. And therefore, it's nothing wrong in us eating it. And this rabbi says that he would eat it right away if it was under hashgacha. I beg to differ with him, because that isn't really the full hashgacha Yisrael. The real hashgacha Yisrael is, at the beginning, you might say, what could I do? Hashem is gozer on me we can't, we can't eat it I'd love to have pig I'd love to have uh, basr and chalav. I'd love to, uh, to, uh, to wear shatnes I'd love it but what can I do? Hashem said not to on a certain level yes but at a certain point you're supposed to internalize those feelings and as a yid you feel I wouldn't do it it's, it, it's, a, it's apparent to me the way we all feel about impossible pig, so I uh, disagree with his conclusion but it was a very interesting article, and if you want to see it it's certainly a nice person <laughs> Rabbi Nechemia Cooper-Smith on H.com uh, from November 17th now, I want to share with you, to end off I don't have time to do more tonight because the hour is getting late, but I'm going to share with you a miracle and I'm going to tell you about a book, which I haven't seen it yet. You might or might not like it. Maybe it's not appropriate. I don't have no idea. I haven't seen the book yet. But this article is from one of the special people in this world, Rabbi Hillel Goldberg, uh, who, who wrote this article. And uh, it's, it's about a modern-day miracle. It also appears on H.com. It's a modern-day miracle. And I want you to hear it because it gives chizuk to hear that somebody you know, could, could do this. And, and I'll tell you my inference in a minute. This is a, a story from Dr. Harley R- Rothbart. Um, he had, wrote a book called Miracles We Have Seen, America's Leading Physicians Share Stories They Can't Forget. That's the name of the book, if you want to get it. There's 86 doctors around the country who told of miracles that occurred to them. Miracles we have seen, America's leading physicians share stories they can't forget. Um, It's not expensive, by the way. The book is $11 or something, and you can get cheap copies on Abe's if you want to do that. This is not a book of theology or exaggeration. It's a book of medical witness to supernatural intervention. That's what Rabbi Goldberg says. Akin to the eighth blessing of the Shemona Esrei, these 86 physicians include one who I also sat next to, this is Rabbi Goldberg saying, albeit in a shul founded years later, Dr. Matthew Metz. And here's the story from Dr. Matthew Metz. When he was a second-year surgery resident, near the bottom of the total pole, as he put it. He was invited to watch the removal of a mass from a 60-year-old woman. He would consider himself fortunate if he were asked to hold the retractor tool or to be allowed to help close the surgical skin wound when the important work inside the abdomen was finished. It was a fairly routine procedure, But once it began, as Dr. Metz recounted, everything went quickly wrong. As the lead surgeon, an outstanding one, began to remove the mass, the bleeding began. The tumor had grown into the femoral vein, which tore. Uncontrolled bleeding filled the abdomen, and its source could not be found. No tool or hand could find it. What seemed like a routine procedure now seemed, like to, now seemed likely to end in tragedy. In what Metz later called a burst of adrenaline and an irrational panic, he heard himself saying, Can I try? Can I try? This is what he's saying in the room there. And he is a second-year surgery resident. Okay, and he, he says, can I try? Can I try? What was I thinking? Who, who was I to even imagine? I could do something the entire senior team in the room was unable to do. But everyone was desperate, and the outcome seemed inevitable. I wish mean, he was going to die. So the chief surgeon looked at Metz with a smirk. Sure, Metz, here you go. And handed him a vascular needle driver the special forceps to stitch up a hole in a blood vessel, which no senior surgeon could see amidst the sea of blood nor find. They couldn't find a place to plug up. To Nets, what happened next has remained a blur. I have no idea what happened in that woman's abdomen that morning, but I do know this. It wasn't me guiding my hand to that blood vessel. Here's the quote. I grabbed the needle drive and the attached needle and suture and plunged my hand blindly into the sea of blood in the abdominal cavity. Somehow, the needle and the suture ended up precisely where the hole in the vein was, and I was quickly able to draw the two sides together. To the audible awe and amazement of everyone in the room The bleeding stopped. At that moment, the adrenaline receded from my body almost instantly, and my knees went weak. The surgery succeeded, and the patient went on to a full recovery. This is how he ends off here. I would tell my colleagues afterwards that I didn't deserve their congratulations. I have no idea what happened in that woman's abdomen that morning. But I know this. It wasn't me guiding my hand to that bub vessel. He knew it was a nace. He experienced a nace. I bring this story. Of course, it's, you know, time of Hanukkah, we have a nisam. But I want to I stress something that I, that I feel very strongly about, and I think everyone will benefit from it. When we wish somebody Rafu shleima, what we sort of mean is, you should feel a little better tomorrow. But the truth is, Rafu shleima is possible. Even under the most most dire circumstances, the most dangerous situations, the most unlikely successes, we have no right to say it won't happen. When we say Rafu shleima, we should think about this story or something else and realize our words could really have that impact and, and if we really wish that person Rafu Shleim, with the depths of our heart maybe Hashem Yisbarach will grant it to them so that's it for tonight I wish everyone a Chag uh, Sameach you know, and um, we'll pick it up next week so if you want to reach us during the week for any reason The telephone number 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363 or kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. You can go to our website, kashrusmagazine.com to order the magazine or the Kosher Supervision Guide or the Kosher Travel Guide. You can can reach us for any questions you have regarding kashrus. And until next week, this has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, wishing you a wonderful week.